Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Uh, this week, uh, me and some of the leadership in the church had a chance to go to, to a Bethany conference. Uh, we were gone Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in Louisiana, Baton Rouge. Man, it, it wrecked our lives, guys. God just poured out his love on us in a way that was so real. You know, I'm mean, the best way I can explain it. I said, I said, I feel like God spiritually waterboarded me. You know, you open your mind and you're just drowning. Lord, I can't take any more. And he kept pouring out. So, so be encouraged. I really feel like God has given us direction. He's focused our eyes into what this next season of the church is and where we're going. And we took leaders with us, and I believe that they caught a lot of that same vision. And it, it impacted me so much, I changed my whole message for this Sunday. I don't like to do that. I only worked Monday, then I was gone all week, and then I come back Friday, and I have changed my message by Friday. So Saturday, I'm like, oh, man, I got, you know, getting the notes typed out, trying to get my mind wrapped around what God wants me to say. But I believe that this word is still aligned. We've been, we've been talking about faith and family, right? So the same concepts that we've been talking about, faith and family, this is going to fall right in line with everything we've talked about. So uh, the past few weeks, we've been talking about faith and family, you know, God's plan for marriage, for parenting, finances, the social issues that we face as a family uh, that affect the family. Um, and I believe that today God says that if you begin to get your home in order, I will also give you the things that you desire the most. You know, because there's principles that are always going on that when we apply those principles to our life and we intentionally make decisions to align our life to the biblical model, when in obedience, God commands blessing to certain things. He causes things to work for our good. You know, so we think of the story of Solomon, right? You guys know, you know, David's son that built the temple, you know, it says that he asked God for wisdom. And then what did God do? He said, because you asked for wisdom rather than riches, God gave him everything else also that he did not ask for. Because you think about what was his heart driven towards? Pleasing God. Having wisdom so that he could rule and reign in a way that honored God to the fullest. Because to rule and reign as a king, you better have wisdom. But yet God gave them everything else. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 1, 5 through 12. We'll look at some of those passages in regards to Solomon. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5 and we'll read through 12. Starting in verse 5, it says, But, but the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of the Uri, and son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon. In front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So there was a tabernacle set aside. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. So in verse 6, Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered. See if, see if you think this is a big offering or a little offering. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Now those are usually animals of, of some sort, you know, butchered a thousand offerings animals on the altar. And then so he went to the, he went to the place of where the presence of God was, the, the tent of meeting. He went to the altar and he created, he, 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 he put a sacrifice on there. So he, he brought his offering and then look what happens. Verse seven, it says, that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask whatever you want me to give you. 
Verse 8, Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. For you have made me king over the people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Verse 10, Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people for, for who is able to govern these people of yours. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for long life but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. So he gave him what, God, what he asked of him, and he said, and I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you has ever, has ever had and none after you will have. Man, that is a, more than anyone else before, more than anyone else after. So he inquired of the Lord. He offered a sacrifice that cost him something. It was a costly sacrifice. It was a costly offering. And then we see what happens. He inquired, he offered, and then that night he received. And God gave him way more than he asked. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you, God, that you are a God that gives us more than we ask for. Lord God, there's things that we sometimes feel that we need. But today, God, I pray that we would uh, shed light on what we really need the most. God, that you would give us an understanding of what your, your word says and what is available to each of your children who call on your name. Father, we thank you for your goodness. I pray today that ears would be open, that hearts would be receptive to your word. That to th this day, God, lives would be forever changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So have you ever asked the question of yourself, what do I long for the most? What do we long for the most? You know, some of us, you know, like if we like are in worldly terms, man, I'd really love a new house. This car is barely chugging along. Lord, I'd really like a new car. You know, usually our wants and desires and our needs are physical things. You know, vehicles, tangible things, right? When do we focus on the spiritual? And then when do we realize that everything spiritual is tied to the natural? And that if we ask for the natural, God will begin, or if we ask for the spiritual, God will begin to release all of those things in the natural. Because the spiritual is what matters most. We know what the scripture says, it says, right, you know, better, you know, what value is it? You know, if a man gains the whole world, but yet what? Loses his soul. You know, if, if you're not driven by your, 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 uh, the, the spiritual side of your life, and we don't make sure that our lives are, are, are being fed and, and watered and nurtured, we will die. When I got here this morning, I walked in, and Becky texted me. She says, hey, water the plants. Now, I don't know what they look like right now, but when I got here, it looked like a Christian that hadn't read his Bible for two weeks straight. <laughs> Almost like, man, Lord, should I just throw it away? But I know, because I've seen those plants in pretty bad shape, when you sprinkle life on them and you give them what they truly need, they'll come back to life. So I don't know if you looked at it when it came in, but I guarantee when you walk out, it's going to look a little bit more lively. So I, I believe in each of our lives, we have to ask that question, what do I desire most? What do I long for the most in my life? 
You know, we may not realize what it, what it is that we desire the most, but I'm going to answer that question for you. We've already begun to talk about it this morning. It's the presence of God. What do you need the most in your life? The presence of God. Because the presence of God changes everything. It all of a sudden shifts our focus of what we think we need to what we truly need spiritually. It causes us to, to know how to, you know, all of these concepts that we talked about, right? We talk about marriage. Marriage isn't going to work without the presence of God. Raising your children isn't going to work without the presence of God. Handling your finances in a way that honors God is not going to work without the presence of God. And then social media, we're going to believe everything that the social media throws at us unless we're exposed to the presence of God, which is going to reveal every lie that social media tries to download into our minds. So what you need today more than anything else in your life is the presence of God. It's an encounter with the living God. You know, and the, the next question I have for you is, have you, ever in, have you ever had an encounter with the presence of God? Now, all of you who are saved, hopefully you all are here, but hopefully you have a moment in your life where you say, man, I know God was real. You know, I was praying one day and then I just felt the presence of God. Got all these goosebumps, all these, you know, because God works in the motions. We're tied to a, a physical body. You know, we just felt this undeniable presence of God. They brought us to the place of believing in who he was, and we surrendered our life to him. Well, let me tell you today, if that's the only time you have experienced the presence of God, you are starving yourself. Because God desires us to dwell in the presence of God, to dwell in his house on a regular basis. Not just upon salvation, to where he comes and he reveals himself. You know, and man, I felt this tangible presence of God and therefore I believed. That's usually where it starts. You know, people cry, people laugh, people bow down. You see all of these different kinds of responses when the presence of God shows up. But what he's really doing is he's penetrating your heart. He's replacing your heart of stone and he's promising to give you a heart of flesh that all of a sudden comes to life. And then it becomes, it becomes sensitive to the things of God. So you see that when, when, that, when that heart transplant happens, man, there is, a, there is a season after salvation where you are hungry for the things of God, where you desire the things of God, where you are not satisfied apart from the presence of God. You make time for it. Your life's wrapped around it. You chase after those moments of being in the presence of God because it's there that you're forever changed. And there's something in that moment in his presence where you figure out everything else fades away and, and maybe perhaps this is where I'm supposed to be. But we don't, we don't, sometimes we don't realize that's what we were created for. And at the end of our life when we go to heaven, that's the best part about it. We will ever be in the presence of God, never separated from the presence of God. It says there'll be no need for the sun and the moon because his glory will illuminate all of heaven. The glory of the Lord, the presence of God, is what we need. You know, we've been discussing faith and family concepts, and it's my hope that each of you are beginning to, to align your lives and your homes in a biblical model that pleases God. You know, I hope you didn't listen to these messages or say, oh, it was great, brother, and you went home and said, I'm just keep doing the dumb, same dumb things I've always done. My hope is that you took something from this last, all these series that we've been going through and you've applied something. Now, it's not too late to apply them. And I'm not going to ask you one on one. Did you do anything? Did you change anything? Did you, did, you, did you talk to your wife about anything? 
Well, brother, I was planning on it. Well, you still got time because it's my hope that you apply these principles. If you don't apply the principles, you can't reap the reward of the principle. Okay? But I have to tell you today that when we get things in order and we align our families to the word of God, God begins to release his presence into our personal lives and in the lives of our families. Okay? And this is really what we need the most. When we apply these principles, God releases his presence, his confidence, his peace. I know when you start dealing with finances, it can be a, a very lack of peace type process. Well, Lord, I don't know about this. This ain't looking too good. But he can release the, his presence in that situation in peace, and he can allow you to stand on his word even when you don't see it initially. Because I believe that those rewards of those principles prove to be true every single time but you have to apply them more often than not. You can't apply it once and hope that it'll work. You have to change the lifestyle. You have to change the habit. You have to change the way you model your home in a way that is consistently aligned with the Word of God. But you have to be reminded, His presence changes everything. You cannot be exposed to the presence of God and remain the same. You can't. Let's look at Exodus 34 got your word you can turn to it if not we'll have it pulled up here for you exodus 34 we're going to look at verses 29 through 33 so this is the story of of moses and uh give you just kind of a uh you know a snapshot of what was happening you know he uh he went up to mount sinai you know to to get the the ten commandments right you know so he uh there was a few things that, that happened. He went up to the mountain, so we have to be reminded that Moses was going to encounter the presence of God. So when he went up to the mountain, he, say, he said, go up there by yourself. Don't even allow herds to graze on the mountain. I don't know how they controlled that. I don't know if he had guys set up at the ball say, hey, get away. Moses is meeting with God. I don't know what that looked like. And is what I think would have happened if they would have stepped foot on that mountain, they probably would have died. There's, there's a reason that God gives instructions. He doesn't give instructions for no reason. But when you come encountered with a living, holy, powerful God, and you're not right, in the Old Testament, you died, right? So he said, he said, go to an isolated place. So sometimes to experience the presence of God, we have to go to a place of isolation to where it's just me and you, God, that there's nothing else. You guys know how long he was on the mountain? Anybody know? Ooh, better read that Old Testament. 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. It's like, Lord, I can't make it four hours. <laughs> Much less. <laughs> Trey almost spit that coffee out. <laughs> 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. Why? How can you last that long? Because in the presence of God, nothing else matters. I believe that, you know, everything that was satisfying his spirit also satisfied his natural cravings. He didn't want to leave. Man, but can you imagine that, being exposed to the presence of God, being with God for 40 days and 40 nights? So then we look at this passage, starting in verse 29. This is what happens. He comes down off of the mountain. Verse 29, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. 
Verse 30, when Aaron and all his Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. They were afraid to come near him. You know, I don't know if this is something like you see in a movie like these, you know, just, you know, literally glowing presence of God on somebody, a ghostly type encounter. I don't, I don't know what it would look like. It was enough to freak godly men out. Say, hey, man, we know you're Moses, but we're not comfortable with this, right? Because I believe what he was carrying was a measure of the presence of God that he had been exposed to. And it might not necessarily have been the sight that they were fearful of, but it was the, the manifest presence of God that he was now carrying because of his exposure to the presence of God. Okay, so what did they do? It says that they were fearful, they were afraid. You know, uh, but Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Verse 32, afterwards, all the Israelites came near to him and they gave... And then he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Verse 33, when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. He put a covering over his face to, to hide the glory of his radiant face. Think about that. You know, man, he had to, you know, pe most people are not comfortable with exposure to the presence of God. He had to, he had to literally cover himself. The people were not comfortable, even with a small measure, the aftermath of the presence of God that was resting on Moses. He covered his face. So we see that exposure to the presence of God, it just, it even, he even carried a measure of the presence of God, of what he was exposed to. 40 days, 40 nights, you're going to be glowing like Jesus. Okay, if you commit that amount of time, you know, and, and I think that that's what in our lives also, we should see that if we are soaking, if we are dwelling in the presence of God, people should see something tangibly on the, we should be carriers of the presence of God. Not just say, hey, you know, man, you know, I, I pick, I pick up the presence Sunday when I go to church and I leave it on the altar before I leave. We should be carriers of the presence of God if we are continually and oftenly being exposed to the presence of God. So do people see a radiant glow about you from being in the presence of God? Do they see something tangible that says, wow, this person has been with God? Not just he's a good person, he does the right things. Hey, I know you go to church on Sunday. No, are people sensing a, a, a spiritual presence of God because you have been in the presence of God? You've had an encounter with the living God. When is the last time that you just soaked or you just dwelt in the presence of God? When's the last time you did it for 40 days and 40 nights? I never have, not to that level of commitment. You know, sometimes, you know, we can't, we can't get past 1215 focusing on the presence of God. We're ready to say, hey, I'm done. I've had my fill, and maybe we have just gotten short of, of truly receiving all that God has for us because of our impatience or because we're just in such a hurry. Okay. You know, most of the time, I got a picture back there for you. Uh, most of the time when people encountered the presence of God, there is, there is a common response bowing down. You know, there was very few people when exposed to the presence of God, they didn't, you know, they didn't say, hey, what's up, God? High five. That never happened. It says every time that people were exposed to the presence of God, they bowed low. They, they fell down by, in the glory of the Lord. 
So when we sing these songs about the glory of the Lord, Lord, let your glory come, let your glory come. Be careful what you ask for because you do not know what you ask for. But we have to understand that as a church, God will not give us something that will utterly kill us. He wants to give us a chance to get right before he does it. If he's going to reveal himself in that measure, it has to be in a church that people have gotten their heart right. And, they, and they've, got, they've dealt with sin. Because where the glory of the Lord is in sin, they cannot mesh together. Sin has to flee. Strongholds have to be broken. Mindsets have to change. If you are going to survive an encounter with the glory of God. You know, and I think that's probably why sometimes he can just give us a small little snippet of who he is. Because we aren't a people that are ready to truly ex be exposed to the presence in an encounter with God. Amen? So be careful what we ask for. We got to understand what that glory is and make sure that we're responding in a way that, that, that responds in, uh, in honor and reverence of who God is. You know, today, a lot of us are really awkward in the presence of God. We don't know what to do or how to act. But that's because we have no understanding of who God is and we never spend time with him. You know, if, if you spend time with somebody that you don't know and he wants to talk about something intimate, you're going to be all kinds of awkward. Well, why, why are you asking? We're not that close. Why are you asking me questions like that? Because my goal is to be that intimate with you and to be close to you. God desires to be close to his creation. That's why he sent his son. Because as Moses put up the veil, when Jesus came, the veil was torn from top to bottom so that there would be no separation before man and God, but that we could come boldly before his throne of grace with every kind of request as sons and daughters of the king. We have a right to come into his presence, but very few do. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, well, there's too much ugly, there's too much sin. I don't have everything right in my life. Problem is we don't realize the power of the blood. And that the blood makes us righteous. It justifies us just as if we had never sinned that when God looks at us, he sees the price of his son from head to toe, covering everything we've done, everything we will do. And it gives us the right as children to come boldly before his throne of grace. Being in the presence of God, it's not that common. It's actually kind of rare for most people. I don't want to be most people. I want to be a son that dwells in the house of God. You know, I think of that passage. He says, Lord, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than apart from you. Just, God, let, let me be close as I can to you. Give me a place that I can just dwell in your presence. Because ultimately, that's what changes us in the glory of his majesty. But I want it to be, I want it to be common that I'm in the presence of God rather than absent from when we encounter the presence of God, it's, it's more important to hear what God desires, what he desires, rather than just us doing all the talking. When you walk into, into the throne room of the king of kings, at that point, you better lay face down and shut your mouth. Because now you have entered a place where you're in the presence of God. And the prideful and arrogant will be humbled. But it's in those moments when we, when we quiet ourselves, when we quiet who we are, that God reveals to us who he is. We have to have a holy, reverent response to the presence of God. Do we expect 
to experience the presence of God? That's another critical question. If we don't expect to experience the presence of God, that that's only for heaven, we won't pursue it that often here on the earth. I don't expect to encounter the presence of God, so therefore, why even chase after him? Why even ask for him? The veil has been torn so that here on earth, men and women may find God and dwell in his presence to have an encounter with him and be forever changed. When his presence shows up, everything else ceases and fades away. It's in that moment that our lives are forever changed. I'm gonna give you guys three things that happen when we encounter the presence of God. If you're taking notes, this would be a good time to take notes. The first thing that happens when we encounter the presence of God, we receive identity. So God shows us who we are. I'll tell you what, the world wants to tell you everything you're not. But when we encounter the presence of God, he shows us who we are. Every time. That's one of the biggest things that he always wants to do. Who, who am I, God? How many of you, even as adults, be honest with me, still struggle with identity sometimes? Man, you know... Am I good enough? Am I, who am I? You know, am I pleasing God? Is this job for me? You know, you, you know, our identity is usually summed up in what we do rather than who we are. So when we encounter the presence of God, the identity shift, the, the understanding of who we are comes to light. And then, then God begins to explain us that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. While you were in your mother's womb, I formed you and I created you with a purpose and a plan. And my ultimate, was, my ultimate plan was to restore relationship so that you could dwell in my presence even here on the earth that you could get a taste of what is to come when you go to heaven man i hope when we get to heaven isn't the first time we've been exposed to the presence of god you might not know how to handle it if you've never been exposed to the presence of god right the second thing that happens when we uh, when we encounter the presence of god we receive destiny so so we get we get clarification into what god has called us to be where we're going we get it. We, God gives us direction for our lives. He says, man, what are you doing? Knock the dust off your pants. Get up. Quit sulking. This is where you're to go. This is what I, you know, he's already saying, this is how I see you, and this is what I've called you to. Now go forward with it. We receive destiny. We understand where we're going. And the third thing, we see his sovereignty. So what does sovereignty mean? You know, this is kind of a word that kind of throws people off, but it's a supreme power or the glory of God. So when we see who God is, we are reminded in his presence of who, who's got us. Who's got my back? Who's fighting on my side? Who's walking with me? Who has me hand in hand? Who is going before me and preparing the way? And when we encounter the presence of God, it adds a confidence to our life to where everything changes. And in the presence of God, when we see who we are, when we know where we're going, and we know who God is, there's nothing that can stop us from accomplishing all that God has called us to in this lifetime. But what does the enemy want to do? He does not want you experiencing the presence of God ever. He knows that every time that you see a, 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 a facet of who God is in his sovereignty and how big and awesome he is, it reveals how insignificant the enemy is and how really... We don't, he's not that big of a problem. But for a lack of presence of God, we've created a devil that is this huge, sovereign devil that dictates our life. Man, this guy just can't shake him. 
That's because we haven't been exposed to the presence of God and we haven't seen God for who he really is. But when we get in the presence of God, we'll see God for who he is. Our eyes will be fixed on him. We'll know who we are. We'll know where we're we're going and we'll see his sovereignty and we'll pursue after him with all of our hearts because we will be forever changed. You cannot be exposed to the presence of God and remain the same. Uh, I'm just going to reference this story real quick for a sake of time. Acts 9, 1 through 15. You guys can write that down if you want. You know the story. It's when, uh, when Saul was on the road to Damascus and the presence of God just leveled him. He was riding. He was in full stride. The presence of God showed up and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Leveled him. Knocked him off the horse. Knocked him to the ground. You know, and you, know, you hear the whole story, G- G- uh, God talking to him. And at the end, it says, then he stood up. After God was done talking, he stood up, he opened his eyes, and he realized he was blind. The glory of God blinded him, but it kept him humbled. Remember what I was talking about? In the presence of God, he didn't stand up and say, oh, God, I'll show you. Probably would have died that day. But we have to understand that, you know, when you read that passage, it says that this, this is my divine purpose. Let me turn to that real quick because there's this really, really good part in there. You know, this is one of those things that, you know, uh, was all a part of God's plan the whole time. But we see, we see a changing, sorry. So, so this is what, you know, when, when, when God is talking to Ananias, he says, go, this man is my chosen instrument. Wait a minute. This guy was a, you know, he accused Christians. He imprisoned them. He killed, you know, I mean, he was, he was the one that said, hey, kill this one. You know, he, he was the ultimate evil of the Christian world, you know, uh, of the Jews at this time, you know. But, you know, he was an accuser of everything that God stood for. But yet God chose to, cho- chose to use him. And it was in the moment of being exposed to the presence of God where everything changed. So he instructs Ananias, he says, go lay your hands on him so that he might receive his sight and that he might also what? Receive the Holy Spirit. And then you see at that moment, everything changed. You even saw a heart change before he placed his hands on him because right there in verse 19, if you read that whole passage right there, it's at verse 19, it says, after taking some food and regaining his strength. So he was praying and fasting. Once he was exposed to the presence of God, he didn't know what else to do. He started acting right immediately once he was exposed to the presence of God. It changed everything, changed the whole course of his life. And we all need encounters in the presence of God. This week, uh, Jonathan Stocksdale, he made a comment. He said, you know, if we, if we, if this next generation, if the only thing that they, they get are good VBSs, great curriculum, and, 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 uh, and they never meet with God, by the age of 18, and they haven't, they've had very few encounters with the Prince of God, we've missed it. My children need to be exposed to the Prince of God now, not later when they're in the pit of all their chaos. I want my children being exposed to the Prince of God now. Right? We all need encounters with God. You know, we just don't want to get, you know, consumed with a program. The ultimate goal of Sunday mornings is what? To encounter the presence of God. You know, if God's not in this message, let me sit down right now. 
But if God wants to use my voice, if he wants to use my preparation to speak to your heart, then I'm going to say it. You know, that's one thing I've been asking God. God, tell me when to speak and tell me when to shut up. No better, easier way to put it. Help me know when to speak and when to remain silent. And Father, allow this to be a church and to be a place where your presence is made welcome and your presence dwells and lives are changed for your glory's sake. Let's look at Genesis 22, 10 through 22 real quick. This is Jacob's dream. Genesis 22. I'm sorry, Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Genesis 28. So this is Jacob's dream at Bethel. Um, So just to kind of give you an intro to the story, uh, starting in in that verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and sent out for Haran. Uh, when, he, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angel of God uh, were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and, and the God of I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are laying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is what he says in verse 15. He says, and I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to the land I will give (coughs) and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So we see what happens. You know, he's, I don't, I don't think that he had a plan to be exposed to the presence of God at that moment and for God to speak. But in that moment, God spoke to him. He says, I'm gonna give you everything that I've promised. You know, I'm gonna bless you just like I've blessed your fathers. And he lays down. So Whenever you encounter the presence of God, there's things that, that, that have to be changed and there's conditions. So let's keep reading. Just look at the rest of the story real quick. I'll read it real quick. Verse 16, it says, Then when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. You ever been in that situation? Man, I wasn't aware that the Lord was going to show up today. I told, he totally caught me off guard. It's how he does it sometimes, right? You know, he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place this is none other than the house of God. This is the, the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on it. So what he did, he set up this stone and he anointed it. Verse 19, he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Uh, Bethel means the house of God. I looked up Luz, that, that city, to depart, to turn aside. So it's a complete name change. You know, a place that you would just depart, you'd leave behind, you really wouldn't care about That place now became the house of God. So verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if the Lord be with me and and will watch over me on this journey, I I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. 
And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all of you, give me, I will give you, and, and of everything that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So we see, we see some things happen, right? When he's exposed to the presence of God. So there's two things that have to happen and th- two things that you need to do whenever you encounter the presence of God. The first thing he did, what? He made an altar. You know, so we're like, um, made an altar. How the heck does that apply to me today? Get a rock, set it up, anoint it. What do I do? What he was implying here is, is he set up that altar so he would not forget. You know, so what does an altar look like today? So what this would look like for you when you experience the presence of God, you pour out extravagant, passionate worship. You, do, you respond to the presence of God in some way. You write it down. Write down what the Lord had said so you'll remember it. You won't forget it. Tell somebody what the Lord has done in that moment or give a sacrificial offering. You will not forget that it happened if you give something that's costly enough. Oh, man, you just got in my personal space, Noe. Give something that's costly. You won't forget it. Write a bigger check than you ever have. You won't forget that moment. You'll say, man, I remember when God did that, and I wrote that check, and it was not fun. But I remember what the... So you would not forget it. Mark it with something significant that you would remember. So you make an altar so you don't forget it, and then you have to change something instantly in your life. You know, so he, he totally changed his trick. He said, man, if God, if you do this, you'll be my God. And, you know, and then, then he, you know, he changed something instantly. So it's a complete disgrace to the power of God to be exposed to his presence and nothing changed or just to go back to the same way of living. It's a discredit to God's power for God to expose his presence to you. And then you say, well, just poor me. I'm still just the horrible man that I am. And you go back to the same sin or the same issue when the presence of God has broke the power of that. But out of habit, you're just so used to doing the same thing you've always done, but you haven't realized yet that the power to be free is right there in the presence of God. You know, it's almost like the dog that's that's tied to the stake, right? Man, if you keep him there long enough, he's going to think he's tied off. Even if you take off that leash, he's only going to go six foot this way and then kind of stop and drop his head and look at you sad. Why? Because he's been tied to that so long, but he doesn't realize that he's been set free. I think it almost takes you going back to that presence of God and God grabbing that chain and saying, hey, look, buddy. Hey, that's what was around my neck. It's not even on me anymore. And then you break free. But we got to understand in the presence of God, power is released to be free. But sometimes the habit or the mindset hasn't caught up with that release of freedom in our life yet. Because to whom the sun sets free is what? Free indeed. It's a completed work. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. It says, but, whoever, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So we're talking about Moses, that there is a veil, but this is talking about the veil that was torn in two when Jesus died. It says, the veil is taken away, verse 17. It says, now the Lord is, is, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So every time you're exposed to the presence of God, you're, the Holy Spirit is working in your life, There is freedom available. Verse 18, and we who with unveiled faces, we all reflect the Lord's glory. So when the veil is removed, when we've been exposed to the presence of God, we should all reflect the glory of God just like Moses did, where people see it. 
And then we go on in that passage. It says, and being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. The New King James Version says, from glory to glory, moment to moment, encounter to encounter with the presence of God. This isn't a one-time process where it's completely done in one at one moment, but this is a continually coming back, being in the presence of God. So I'm gonna give you, in closing, three keys to encountering the presence of God right now, okay? Everybody says, man, I'm gonna write these down. But what, Noe, how come you just didn't tell me these three and we could've went home? So I wanted to give you some scripture base also, okay? So three keys to encountering the presence of God. First and foremost, he must be pursued. You have to pursue God. Now, there's times that God will come and find you and he'll seek you out and he'll find you in your moment. But when you pursue God, when you seek God, you will find God. So encountering the presence of God, he must be pursued. Secondly, you must be positioned right. That means you gotta isolate yourself. You gotta get to that place of where you can encounter the presence of God, where you're waiting on the presence of God. What does that look like? Man, maybe when nobody's home, you... Turn on worship music and you just say, God, it's been a long time since I've been exposed to the presence of God. Lord, I, I, need, I know I need it. And I've been starving. I've been looking like that plant at the church for far too long. I'm dying. And I know that I need an encounter of your presence. We have to position ourselves. You must be positioned. And then number three, it's a discipline that must be practiced. And I say discipline because it's something that you have to do on a regular basis and be intentional about it. A discipline, it's something that's practiced and implemented over and over and over again. So today, what are you going to do with the presence of God? Avoid it or desire it? Doesn't change that it's not real or it's, it doesn't change the fact that God's presence is available and real but what are you gonna do about it? You guys stand up with me this morning. I got prayer teams available this morning. I'd like you to come forward. Uh, I really believe that God is uh, wanting to release just a uh, refreshing of his presence this morning. Sessa, can you come play? Somebody's going, Trey's going. Uh, that we all, we all need an encounter of the presence of God. We all need it. Say, well, I, well, I'm mature. I've been a Christian a long time. You still need it. Well, I just got saved last week. Well, guess what? You need another one. You need continual encounters with the presence of God. It's something that we need to live in. So this morning, if, if you just uh, you just say, no, man, you know, I really am like that dying plant out there. I'm in a pretty pot, and I try to smile the best I can. But deep down, I'm dying because I'm not dwelling in the presence of God. And I need a radical touch of the presence of God that today God wants to encounter you. What's the first step? He has to be what? Pursued. And that's gonna require something of you. What it's gonna look like this morning is getting out of your seat and coming forward and coming to the altar. If you want one of these team members to pray with you specifically, that's fine. If you don't and you just wanna get get you and God and say, God, here I am. I pursue you with all my heart. Then we just open up the altar to you. God can do what no man can do. If you feel that there's a struggle in your life that, that is preventing you from the encounter of the presence of God, that's what these, t these team members here 
are for, the, for this morning. To break the power of the enemy, to, to remove the lie of the enemy, and release his presence to you. Today, you got to know that you're a son and you're a daughter and you have the right to come boldly before his throne of grace. So I'm going to pray and I'm just going to invite you to come as you feel led. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you for your word that says, all who hunger and thirst shall be filled. Father, what we all desperately need is, your, is an encounter with your presence that forever changes us. And it continues to change us over and over again as we reflect your image and your likeness, God. So, Father, I pray this morning that, that those who desire your presence and boldly come forward, that they would receive from you all that you have for them, God. And, Lord, we just release you to be God. We release your Holy Spirit in this place to move and have your way in our lives. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.